From Washington, D.C., you are listening to Rule of Law Albania with Albi Cela. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Rule of Albania. Today's guest is Vincent von Hergenoui. He's a, the co-founder of Exit News in Albania. He's a writer, a thinker, a critic on what happens in Albania. So I'm really delighted to have him. Vincent, welcome. Thanks, uh, Albi. Thanks for having me. So, Vincent, before jumping in in our topic today, um, tell us a little about yourself. Who is Vincent? Why did Vincent engage in Albania? Well, um, in 2010, um, when I moved to Albania, I was a, a PhD student, a, a PhD student in philosophy. And I was not very rich. Uh, I'm not very rich now either, uh, but back then I was like a student. And, um, and I went on holiday to Albania with my brother and um, it was a really enjoyable holiday. And I decided that you know, I had to write my thesis, I didn't have a lot of money. And so with the teaching that I would do in the Netherlands for like two months a year, I could live the entire year in Albania. So I would have enough time to write. So uh, I moved to Albania uh, for that reason to, to write my dissertation. And um, I had always been uh, very much involved uh, in the art scene back in the Netherlands. And um, I tried doing the same in Albania. And so like I became involved in the cultural scene, which is not very, not very large, of course, as, as you know. And um, through the cultural scene, uh, interested in architecture and then, you know, more cultural politics and finally politics, right? So um, different from in the Netherlands, politics in Albania is like very close like political developments are, are hotly discussed publicly everywhere. And, um, you know, as my Albanian got better, I became more and more involved in, in, in let's say, in, in political discussions and started to write about that for foreigners because there are not that many foreigners that, that speak Albanian um, among those that live in Albania and of course those that live outside Albania and um, that kind of worked. And so people started reading my work and then I started to write more and then people started reading me more. And then, uh, you know, they invite me on television to one of these, you know, sometimes these kind of debate shows. And um, I, I always try to um, not fall into the trap of these types of screaming matches, which is difficult. And, and my Albanian is not good enough to participate in these types of, you know, blood sports. But uh, um, yeah, I, I guess it. I, I rolled into it. Um, and one of the main topics of, of interest of me over the last few years has been, has been the justice reform because I thought it, it provided this very small, this nice self-contained microcosm, not only of everything that's going wrong in Albanian politics, but also everything that's going wrong in terms of the EU's interaction with Albania. And so I thought it was a very interesting case study to, 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 to follow it from the beginning, you know, from the first time that people start thinking about justice reform, 
until where we are today, which is not a pretty place, right? And this is this is something that we all know. So that that is my that is like briefly my the the um, the arc of my engagement uh, with Albania. And I believe that's that's what led led to the creation of Exit News in Albania. You're one of the co-founders. And yeah, we, I mean, we both know what's how's the situation of the media in Albania. And to be honest, I remember when Exit News was launched, I was happy because back then we were in a really critical condition about freedom of speech, freedom of the press. We still are, I think, even Absolutely. worse now, even worse. Absolutely. And Exit News is one of those platforms in which your voice can be heard. I've contributed a little in Exit News lately. And I really, I've never, honestly, I've never been censored. Censored is a big word, but I've never been criticized about my writings, nothing has been changed from the essence of my write, writings. And it's it's a really good thing because there's other media in Albania that don't offer that. So how, again, for the listeners, how did Exit News come up? Um, well, I, I may say that although I'm a co-founder, this was very much a project that was set up by, by Nerit Seyamini, And he, um, I mean, he has been, uh, I mean, I'm not here for to 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 tell his biography. I'm sure he can he can do that himself. But he at some point invited me. This was during the the elections, the municipal elections of 2013, oh, I think. Where were the parliamentary elections? Ah, so then it was the ones after that. So 15, it must have been then. Um, so in 15, there was this outside candidate, uh, Jared Boagiu. And uh, Niritan had been involved in his campaign <clears throat> up to the moment that Boagiu thought that he could do it all by himself. Uh, Niritan left. And um, so it was like, it was a bit of this, you know, this disappointment in, in the fact that, you know, you have an independent candidate that maybe could pull off that you know, could break in between the two party system, um, but then start to exhibit exactly the same, you know, mistakes that, that the two main parties make. And, and so he had started, Niritan had started this like kind of weekly reading group, this brainstorm, like what to do next? Like, how do we, how do we recuperate? How do we regroup? And uh, he invited me to one of these meetings after reading one of my pieces, I, I forgot what it was. It was probably, it may have been like on um, on the extension of the boulevard or something. I think it was one of those pieces. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, there was this project to extend the boulevard, which was started under Basha and then it was blocked by Rama and then, and so on. Then Vili came and he reopened the whole thing as if it was his. I mean, it was this whole, this whole thing. And so Niridon invited me to come and talk you know about this piece and about you know my my thoughts on on politics in in Tirana and and Albania and um, we became friends and so he told me hey, listen I am starting up this this exit um, do you wanna do you wanna write for me and um, and I said yes and so I started to write for him. And uh, he started translating my work to Albanian, which I thought was very important because I, you know, I speak Albanian, but writing for me is just easier in English. So I usually write in English and then it's translated to Albanian. And um, 
and yeah, we just started to brainstorm about what Exit could be and become and 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 grow um, slowly, slowly. And actually, only recently, I think, um, you know, it's it's really been flourishing, and this has been great because it's, it's I remember how we began. I think it's the first platform in the Balkans to open up everything they own and everything, being transparent. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it program, which is followed amazing. all kinds of, you know, like disclosure standards. And we are the first ones that are certified, I think, by this European yeah. Media Freedom Agency or something. Um, of course, now that I live back in the Netherlands again, like I am not as close as I used to be to the daily business, but I still write for them. And, um, and, and I'm very proud of what it has become. Uh, and and the little part that I was able to contribute to it, um, because of course managing a press like that, you know, on a daily basis is is an enormous amount of work. And I don't know when Neriton sleeps. Um, it's 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 quite incredible because the pressures, and I've seen this firsthand, the pressures were enormous. So and the fact that you know you were not censored or that I was never censored doesn't mean that we didn't get the phone calls okay. right it simply meant that that Niritan basically refused to give in uh, at, at also i mean we, we we you know as a result we hardly had any money for a very long time because we had no sponsors nobody wanted to fund us um no advertisers ever wanted to come because we refused to you know to censor ourselves and to censor to censor our staff, um, and yeah, that that has been very difficult for a very long time. I'm sure it still is. Uh, um, you know. <laughs> and just out of curiosity, what's behind the names exit? Is, is it like an exit from? Ah, I I didn't. This is something you should ask Niritan. I didn't okay. come up with the name. Because um, that's what I like to think in my head that it's an exit from the rest of the. I mean, I, th I th if, if I remember, I mean, this may be anecdotal and this may, or this actually may be apocryphal, but it was like either either we do something like this or we just all leave, okay. right? And so it became this type of you know, <laughs> this is the exit that we want to make. Yeah. Um, Okay, and just really briefly, you've lived there, you continue to contribute in journalism in Albania, how difficult it is to be a journalist in Albania, especially now, well, the well, past seven to eight years. It is very difficult. It, I mean, and I must preface this with the fact that because I was a foreigner, it was much easier for me. So my Albanian colleagues, not only at Exit, but everywhere in Albanian media, the, the few that still try to be independent, both in the printing press and on television, are under incredible amounts of pressure. It is very, very difficult. I mean, I have never been threatened, but everyone I know that is Albanian and is a journalist has been threatened on a regular basis. I mean, sorry to interrupt, but not only now this government has shown that they don't they don't mind doing this also to foreign journalists because we have Alice. I mean, Alice yes. was. Yes, this was is. This is no, this is absolutely true. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to get my residency permit before I started being a journalist. Yeah. Um, 
but still i would say that what alice experiences is still nothing compared nothing, yeah. i mean as horrible as it may be what she is going through for albanians it's much worse because like at the end of the day they don't only threaten you but they threaten your family like you know we will fire your cousin from his job you know it's it's and and the fact that i had no family in albania made it much easier because like okay you can threaten me but with what i mean i'm self-sustainable i'm self-sustained i make my own money i'm not dependent on you know on a government job i don't have any family members in a government job so I mean, the worst thing you can do is is remove my residency permits. As and that's exactly what they did. You know, try to do with Alice, and and fortunately she was able to fight this in court. Vincent, now let's get into the fun part. Let's talk a little about the justice reform. Sure. I mean, I've, I've been a critic myself to this reform since the beginning, and I still continue to be. I'm skeptic, and unfortunately, everything is going towards what I what I projected with uh, myself yeah. back then. And I wanted to start first with the, like, I was, I talked about this like three years ago. And I also talked to my professors here, actually, who were involved in the process in Albania, some of them. Uh, and they don't admit it, but they say indirectly that, yes, we could have done better, of course, especially on some issues. And I think along, at, at the same time with the justice reform, we should have implemented a, an education reform especially in the legal education, because that's my concern. Like we're removing all these judges, prosecutors, police, but who's going to, who's going to replace them? I mean, it's the same people, the same legal education. Yeah. And, and look where we are now. We have no constitutional court, no high court. We're risking to have no uh, appeal, appeals court. The first instance court is stocked with cases. And look, yes, we, don't have people. we don't have people. Uh, and even if we get to have people, they're not prepared. Even me, myself, I graduated with high honors on, on law in Albania, but I, to be honest, I don't consider myself ready to be a judge or a prosecutor in Albania. When I see how the legal education is here in the States, like we don't get the basics, the right. I mean, like you're, you're completely critical thinking. We are, we are not you're you're completely thinking. right that you're completely right that this is definitely a crisis of education in, in part. Um, I mean, there. I mean, this is this is so difficult, right? Because in order, I mean, I would say that that an educational reform is not only needed in terms of like we need more judges, but in you know, in in so many other ways for Albania, yeah, yeah, uh, and and, the, and this is a problem that 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 most probably is very difficult to solve in the sense that. Albania is suffering from an incredible brain drain, not only because of the, the way the current government functions, it may have exacerbated the problem, but the problem is, is that uh, Albanians can travel without visa to Europe, and they will. Um, so, so the problem is, is not only is your education system basically a disaster, the few intelligent people that may be, want to become judges or that have even self-reflection enough to understand that they're not good enough yet to become a judge like you, leave. And 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 um, there was an attempt in a justice reform to mitigate this by raising the salaries of judges and prosecutors, um, 
which however this will prove unsustainable in the future like it, there is no money for this like once the eu money runs out there is just no way that the state can afford to pay these salaries um but that's that's a side note um there is there is i mean to be to be frank there is no one to replace what is currently uh, being taken out of the justice system i mean there was this claim and it's always claimed, oh, we didn't know it would be 50%. It's like, how much do you think it would have been? Yeah, so like, I mean, I have, there have been like some predictions by Riz Calavera, who is the, the, the Western Balkans coordinator or whatever she is, the chairman of the whatever, the, the, the coordinator of the international monitoring operation that very early on in the process said yeah and you know maybe 20 or 30 percent or something like she she gave a number but you know the number is closer to 50 and and as you said it has affected already the highest regions of the justice reform because it goes from top to bottom and the course of first instance will be next yes so this will also be slashed in health and and whoever is left at the court of first instance will be called to work at the appellate court so maybe we'll have an appellate court at some point, but that will mean that there will simply be no courts of first instance. Like this will be completely wiped out. And they, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't think about this. And there was also, I think, a very um, con conscious choice from the side of the government to make sure that the school of magistrates was as, you know, as little funded and with as little possibilities as you know as they could make it. Uh, in order to to exacerbate the situation, because it's of course in the clear interest of the Rama government to make this reform as disastrous and as long lasting as possible, because you can milk it, and it basically gives you uh, you know all the possibilities to pass legislation with impunity. I mean, it basically the justice reform has given them a carte blanche to operate in a de facto I mean, state of exception. Yeah. Have, so they have the amendment of the media draconian law, you have the demolition of the theater, many other instances that he did it because he knew there's no justice. Yeah, he, he could get no away with everything. Court, so he could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And he was like, okay, things will go to the Venice Commission, but who cares for the Venice Commission? Because he has made it clear that he doesn't care for the Venice, Venice Commission in any case is a nonsensical institution. I mean, it's an advisory committee that, you know, sometimes, you know, <laughs> If if a nation state if, if one of the member nations of the of the of the Council of Europe wants to change something on their constitution, they give some advice. They're, they they are not a tribunal. They're not independent. The Council of Europe itself is a cesspit of corruption. So, I mean, I'm sure these people are are qualified to say something about legislation, but they're not Albanian constitutional scholars. And this is this is completely ridiculous that yeah. these people would adjudicate, you know on now what appears to be a regular basis, conflicts between the president and the government. This is this is a is a it's absurd state ridiculous. of affairs. It's getting ridiculous. No, it's point. ridiculous. And actually at the count the Venice committee would do very well to say now it's enough. Like I don't understand why they even accept these cases, honestly. maybe they want to feel important too. But like I I you know this is also diminishing the role of the Venice Commission. I mean, if they start to adjudicating these types of issues, I mean, there are like 10 other countries with constitutional issues. Um, you know, before you know, they start negotiating between the the, the high, the, the Supreme Court in Poland and the, the government there. I mean, yeah. this is, 
This is absolutely unacceptable, okay. actually. And then, Vincent, this new justice reform, it has produced two new bodies. Actually, it has produced one till now, and then we're expecting also the National Bureau of Investigation, if I'm not mistaken, mm. the correct name? Yes. And then we have the Special Prosecutor and Prosecutor's Office, like SPAC. And, and, and the Special Courts. And the Special Courts, yeah, sorry. I consider them a failure till now, to be honest, because they've been going after these small petty criminals, in my opinion, because they're not going after the guys that did the real things. Yeah. After the big fish, that's how they like to call them. And now they're going after small fish and they're giving yeah. time to the big fish to cover up everything and get away with it. Maybe it's a deal to do so, but at some point I think it's gonna break. These institutions are gonna fail. I don't know what's your opinion. Well, I mean, I don't know if there's a deal, and I'm and I'm and I'm sure that throughout the just and I know that throughout the justice system there are very competent people, and that they're that they're that they're idealistic people, and that there are people in that system, besides all the crooks that truly believe in justice. And I've met these people, and I and I and I, and I would never want to say that. <laughs> I I would never say this about Spock or about the special courts or about the Bukahu. Maybe the Bukahu, but like that that these people in general do not have justice on their mind. However, it is it is the core mistake of the justice reform, and this is a conceptual mistake, to think that the creation of new laws and the creation of new institutions itself is enough to reinforce the rule of law. The rule of law, in my opinion, is first and foremost based on a shared belief that the rule of law is important, that, it, that, that the rules, that the laws of a country hold for everyone equally. And, and as long as that, that, that fundamental belief is not a core part of a political culture, you can make as many institutions as you want. It won't work. Like I see the rule of law, the, the problems with the rule of law in Albania is not, it's not a bureaucratic problem. It's not an institutional problem. It's a cultural problem. And yeah. that is a culture that cannot be changed by laws. It's not a culture that can be changed by institutions. It is a culture that can only be changed in the end by the voters, which means that the voters should have a choice and this choice they don't have. But what happens when we have voters? Because let's face it, most of the people in Albania, like they don't understand what Yes, but, but, but this, I mean, but this, but like maybe I'm a little bit of an optimist in this. Yeah, this, I, 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 you know, too, like, but I also think about the other side of the coin because from what I see in Albania, there's so many people that maybe the word is big, but they adore Roma. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that many people adore Trump. Yeah, it's, it's scary. Uh, uh, um, uh, and this is, of course, the eternal problem of populism. It's like, how do you deal with a large part of your population that is not well educated? Because that's in the end, the bottom line. And that's also, you know, coming back to education, that is again the core problem of this entire, of, of, of the state where we're in is the problem of education. Um, but I don't, but frankly, I don't see any other option than through the vote. So the only way to get out of this, if, is there, if there is a party or a movement that is headed by people that have a different inclination towards the rule of law, 
and that these people are voted into office and start to act upon what they promised you know during the during during the campaign and there is simply no other way like any other way that would that would think about this in a top down manner like whether instigated by the EU or by the Venice commission or by anyone else it's just failed is doomed to fail this can only come from the people themselves does that mean that you know it is very unlikely yeah because i mean first of all many people in albania have many other things on their mind than voting for a candidate that cares about the rule of law they want to have food they want to have shelter they want to have electricity they want to have internet they want to have running water i mean running water in the capital of albania is still an issue this is absolutely insane this is absolutely unacceptable in fact and any mayor in any city anywhere in the world would have been thrown out of the city years ago for the fact that people do not have daily water yet somehow here we are um and now let's jump in in, a, in another reform because we love to make reforms year after year is the yeah, not only program. i mean it's not that albania loves reforms it's that the eu loves reform yeah yeah okay yeah that's that's more accurate actually <laughs> yeah and this is and again, this, is this, itself, this is another problem yeah i mean this reform was again sent to the venice commission a couple of weeks ago by the president it's the electoral reform mm. actually i'm happy that they sent it but they still the parliament still went, went through with it which we, we will talk a, a little about it later um is it killing democracy this reform oh it's already dead yeah there, i, I, I mean there i mean it's like beat, it's like beating a dead is horse it killing, is it killing at least also that that small percentage of hope that we had because the electoral I reform, think I, my the, the small percentage of my hope remains unaffected by the electoral reform in the sense that it doesn't reform very much yeah honestly right i mean no lists are being opened there's some shuffling around they're they're making it like on the surface more difficult to politically control the central election committee which will of course in practice will be very easy uh, you know there will not be enough budget for any of the checks and balances that are that are that are implied in the law. Um, there will be no openness about campaign finances. So, like none of this, none of this will make a single difference, whether they pass it or not. It's just lit. It's just marginal, marginal muddling. It's. I mean, none none of the issues that were actually asked by the. Um, OSCE, ODIHR report are actually addressed in this reform and maybe like one or two points or something. It's just like, it doesn't fulfill any of the, of the, of the requirements that were set by the European, uh, by the European Union. So they pass it, they don't pass it, you know, whatever. They already, they already did, it's a law now. It's yeah, I mean, they pass it. I mean, let's see. I mean, what and they, they can pass anything. I mean, I, I, you know, it's like, this is also this fundamental problem with the internationalists that they think that some, you know, this is this has passed with bipartisan support and it's a qualified majority. It's like, yeah, but do you understand how parliament works? They can just amend it, you know, six months later, which they do. And there is the Rama can literally change the constitution at will. I mean, yeah. parliament is is a complete charade at this point, uh, um, ever since ever since the so-called opposition left. 
and 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 they they complain from the sideline and the internationals complain a bit and everybody complains a bit and in the end rama just does what he can do which is pass laws in parliament because he can do that and he in fact when he says i have a mandate to do so he is completely right he does have a mandate to do so he does i mean if, if that that's that's you know that's the truth so so that's i don't right, you know he's saying i'm doing everything is constitutional because it's going through yeah. the parliament we have yeah. a number of he's we are a state of laws right now. We don't have rule of law. We just are a state of law, but let's not forget that even communism and Nazism, they were, they were a state of laws. They had laws, Absolutely. everything was constitutional. Absolutely. But the internationals refuse to talk about this. They just don't say that parliament has the numbers, everything is okay, no, it's not okay. No, because like, because the, the, problem with, the problem with discussing the rule of law is that you get, it gets very theoretical very soon, right? Because yeah. you, because, because it's it is it is quite an abstract and 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 complex thing, which yeah. also makes it I think very very fragile. Like when I when I came back uh, when I came back from the from Albania to the Netherlands in two thousand seventeen, I I really looked at my own country with very different eyes, because what I see happening here is what I saw in Albania. It is the undermining of the rule of law. It is slower. It is more subtle. But you know, it is it is this it is it is the small like cultural things, the way that we address each other in parliament, the way that the opposition behaves toward the government, yeah. the way that the government behaves towards parliament, the way in which the government behaves towards the the high the high council. These have this has nothing to do with law nothing at all the laws are still good it has everything to do with like intention behavior an unspoken an unspoken respect for institutions and the 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 the, the shared care for their stability the idea that the 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 credibility of institutions is one of the most precious and important things and that you know no debate no conflict should ever undermine these i mean that's what you see in, in america right now right it's like the undermining of the credibility of institutions once you're there then it's it's just over you can have the best legal system in the world but since you mentioned america do you think this started to happen in europe as well because of the rhetoric of the trump administration like towards Undermining the rule of law, credibility. No, I mean, of or course, has there it started are like, before in Europe. There are knockoff effects, right? So this whole QAnon business that is now arriving in Europe, of course, is a knockoff effect from what Trump has unleashed. But Europe has its own very deep-seated issues with with yeah. political extremism, and um, you know, to point to Trump would be the easy way out. I mean, if you look at the way that right-wing extremism uh, manifests itself in the Netherlands, this has nothing to do with Trump at all. This is a homegrown. This is a homegrown thing that has been in our country since the Second World War, that has been managed in different ways throughout the years, and and is getting. I mean, a little basically free reign at the moment um and i'm and i'm and i'm pretty pessimistic about what it might accomplish in terms of in terms of affecting the rule of law 
but that's not only their mistake it's also the mistake of the the governments of the mm -hmm. last 12 years uh, uh at least if not 20 years and 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 coming back from albania i saw that much clearer that these are very small steps but they cannot be taken back okay and so yeah sorry please no, 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 go, no, go ahead. I was repeating myself. Okay, I just wanted to jump to another point, which I see very critical at this point. So before the elections, we might have five new parties and four of them uh, formed just months before the elections. How do you see this move? Do you see this? Do you think that Rama is pushing these people to create new parties? Because all these people that are forming these new parties, they're all from the old avant-garde of the opposition, from the old DP. I don't know I mean, what's your I, opinion on that. Again, like I, I always try to avoid um, to to make relations that I cannot prove. Um, however, I am not surprised. Yeah, I mean, it has been the tactic of Eddie Rama since the very beginning to divide the opposition um and um and of course he's trying it again it's a natural inclination for a politician like uh, uh yeah i think that this is this is common behavior among uh among politicians all around the world even though they usually do not create these opposition parties like five months before the elections um this is of course you know a, a, a typical phenomenon i mean not typical to these elections in the sense that we always have these new parties coming up suddenly before the elections yeah whether that's that's nismath uh, uh, or it's it's uh, what was this party of uh, blue shienson right or these these utterly marginal parties like the agrarian party that suddenly you know become active and and have like giant headquarters in the middle of block and you're like what the hell is this party this never existed and then actually they did exist but they just yeah. never did anything so i mean you could well say that these parties don't do anything at all unless it's elections and and of course this is again another part of the problem is that there is no there is no culture of like political parties fostering, you know, any type of continuity, uh, except for the great leader. And this is, of course, the issue with both the PD and the PS is this ridiculous attachment to this one guy that's there and <laughs> just rules everything and, and crushes any form of internal opposition. Yeah, I see. Okay, Vincent, um, one last thing I wanted to talk about before we, we close this. Um, it's the elections here in the US. Uh, it looks that people are more excited about the US elections in Albania actually than here in America. I don't know why this happens actually. I don't understand it sometimes, but we have also our, our political politicians who are excited, of course, about these elections. The, P, the DP has not, has not been open about these elections. Basha didn't No, because they're stupid idiots. I mean, when they went to America to support Trump, I mean, just give me a fucking break. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, full disclosure, I loathe the current president of the United States. I do not like the one that's probably coming, but at least it's not a fucking wannabe autocrat. So, um, you know, it's, so, you know. What do you think? I mean, we have Rama who 
I think he wants to look like he wants Biden to win. But on the other side, he, I think that he wishes Trump wins because he has been so comfortable in the, the past five years of the Trump administration. Because you know, America's foreign policy, America first, no interference in other states. We want stability. We don't care about democracy and the rule of law. I mean, it is, it is true that Trump has been the favorite president of many strong men um, around the world. And so I would not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount the possibility that Rama is happy with, with Trump and especially the foreign policy instituted under Trump. Um, I do not know whether American foreign policy in the Western Balkans. I know this, this is not true, probably. It's, it's probably true that American foreign policy in the Western Balkans will be significantly different under, under a Biden regime. Right. But I don't know exactly what the calculus would be for Rama and Albania, because as far as I see it, that policy is, is mainly tailored towards Serbia and Kosovo. Yeah. In terms of like Russian influence, you know, like the 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 the, the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative and so on, right? So it, I think it's much more focused on Serbia. I think that whichever American um, whichever American government will be installed, it it will be pro Albania in the sense that Albania yeah. is kind of a given. Like you, I mean, I don't know what the popularity of the United States is in Albania, but it's high no matter it's what is it's ridiculously high so i i suppose that people in kosovo have much more to gain from a change in presidency than than albania or even rama i mean yeah maybe it will be a bit more proactive maybe the 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 u.s ambassador in albania will be more vocal about a justice reformer will be more vocal about certain human rights violations but you know does he really care? Uh, I mean, is it going to be really more difficult for him when there is? I don't think so. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Rama still portrays himself as left wing. He's, I mean, he obviously is not, but like, he, you know, <laughs> he, he can obviously claim that, oh, you know, Biden is a kindred spirit and, you know, and he will rehash this video clip from him, like bashing Trump that you, I'm sure you remember from like before the elections when he was with Anderson Cooper. So, yeah, you know, whoever wins, I think he's happy. <laughs> I understand, yeah. Vincent, I, I, I really thank you for accepting to be on Rule of Law Albania. I really appreciate it. I mean, I, I used to read, I continue to read your writings. I, I love them, I love the way you think. I love the fact that you don't care about any threats you said, if you, you haven't gotten any yet, hopefully you won't, but we need a free voice like yours um, in Albania. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you, Albi, for, um, for inviting me. And thank you for having this podcast, because, I mean, it is, it is important, not, I think, not only in Albania, but especially outside Albania, that more people understand the complexities of the way in which, the, let's say, the internationals or the West or the EU or whatever you want to call it, interacts with states like Albania uh, and how enormously complex those interactions are and how very often good intentions lead to incredibly bad results uh, without anyone wanting to take the blame or or even to learn from their mistakes right I mean I will 
you know, the day that any of these EU bureaucrats apologizes for the gigantic mess they made, you know, I'll eat my shoe, <laughs> as they say. Thank you, Vincent. All right, Alvi, have a good one. <laughs>